Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Worship him this morning because he is worthy. We'll remain standing as we hear from John chapter 20. So as I, uh, as I read, um, when I finish, um, we'll, we'll finish with saying, this is the word of the Lord, and um, we can respond um, with saying, thanks be to God. So here we go. <clears throat> On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. What an awesome passage. What awesome worship. Man, thank you guys for leading us to worship Jesus this morning. I'm so glad that you're all here to celebrate with us, to celebrate Easter with us. Um, my name is Ben. If I haven't met you, I would love to, to meet, me, meet you before you leave. Um, I'm married to Tiffany. We have five kids. They all came to the first service and... Um, uh, my kids range in age from 2 to 13, and we're from Atlanta originally. We moved to Vermont back in 2012. We started a church in southern Vermont, a small town in southern Vermont, uh, 2012. We started uh, this church in 2017. We moved here in 2016, and um, we, uh, we are a church that exists to help as many people as possible find and follow Jesus. So I don't know where you are on your journey right now. Uh, today, but I'm glad that you're here. Uh, this is a good place for you to be, no matter where you are in that journey of finding out who Jesus is. Amen. Um, so we're going to be talking about something that happened 2,000 years ago, right? We, we just read a story of something that happened 2,000 years ago, and the question that maybe you're asking or maybe subconsciously wondering is, is, is this relevant for me? 
Is this story that happened 2,000 years ago, does it have any bearing on my life today? Does it, does it affect me, a student, me, an employee, me, an entrepreneur, me, a mom, a dad, a child, a son or daughter, a grandparent? Does this story have any impact on me today? And let me just answer that question for you up front. Yes, it does. There's nothing more relevant. There's nothing more important that we could look at and explore and study today than what we are looking at and studying today. As you, as you begin to read the Word, the Bible, God's Word to us, what you find is that the one true God will begin to speak to you. He will begin to reveal himself to you through the pages of this book. He, will, he wants to have a real and dynamic and living and experiential and interactive relationship with you. And today, I am standing up here with the expectation and with the prayer that he's going to speak to you, that the living, real God is going to speak to you today, in the next 25 minutes or so. So, having said that, let's pray again and ask him to do just that. Our Father, thank you for this morning and for all that we're celebrating this morning in the resurrection of your son. Lord, thank you for going to the cross for us for bearing our sin, for taking the wrath of God upon yourself and absorbing it, paying the penalty for it. Thank you for conquering sin and death. We worship your name. And I need help. I need help right now to do justice to this word. I cannot, I cannot by any eloquent words or lofty speech convince a single soul of the truthfulness and power of your word, but you can, Lord. And by your Holy Spirit, I trust you will. And I ask, Holy Spirit, come, move among us, soften cold, hard hearts. Speak, move, set people free. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Before we uh, jump into this passage in John, I wanna lay a little groundwork because... Um, this book is actually one big story from beginning to end. It's not just a bunch of tales and stories and disconnected things. It's actually one great big story from beginning to end. And so a lot's actually happened by the time we get to this point in the story, what we read today. By the time Jesus uh, is raised from the dead, there's been a whole lot already happened. The beginning of this book, what we find out is that God is a God who creates human beings for relationship with him. And so he creates the first human beings, Adam and Eve, and they walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day. And they know him intimately. And they have this living and real and, and, and interactive experiential relationship with the God that created them. And they, that's what they were made for. And by the time we get to the third chapter of the book, those people that God created for himself, those people that he walks with in the cool of the day, they're rebelling against him, going against his will, going against his word. 
And when they did that, the light within them went out. They, when they rebelled against God, they were actually choosing to join a rebellion that had been started by an angelic being named Satan. And so they joined into a rebellious domain called the domain of darkness when they rebelled against God. And a curse fell upon all of humanity and on all of creation. We're singing, do you believe, do we know that the world is broken? Yes, we see it. We see this fallen world around us. We see how broken it is. All we have to do is talk to our neighbor or turn on the news. This is a broken world. But God, God immediately began a rescue mission. Right after the fall, he, he declares prophetically that, he is, that one is going to be born of a woman who would crush the head of the serpent. So God pursues rebellious humanity. And that's what the story of the Bible is actually about. From, from that point on until the end, it's actually about God's pursuit of rebellious people. How he's going to restore them back to himself. Because you see, God is perfect and holy and good. And, and in him is no darkness at all. And so he cannot have fellowship with darkness. He cannot have fellowship with sinful human beings, rebellious beings. So he's got to, he's got to do something. And, and because he's good and he's holy, he's also just. He's perfectly just. And no perfectly just God can just overlook offenses and sweep them under the rug as if they're not there, then he wouldn't be just. And if he wasn't just, he wouldn't be good. He wouldn't be holy. And so this is the reason for Jesus coming. This is the reason. It's because we are spiritually dead in our sins from birth, separated from God. The light in us has gone out and he needs to do something about our sin. And so in love, he sends his son. That's why you may have heard the verse that says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not live eternally apart from God, but have everlasting life. So I don't know if you knew this this morning, but let me tell you, God loves this broken world so much that he was willing to give his only son to die for us, to restore fellowship, to restore friendship with himself. Jesus didn't die on the cross by some tragic mistake, no. This was the plan all along. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he took all of our wrongs against God upon himself. When he went to the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself. And then as he hung on that cross, he bore the very wrath of God for our sins. The weight, the wrath, the punishment, the penalty, it all bore down on the Son of God, the perfect sinless one, as he hung upon the cross and he absorbed it all. Because God is just. And so on the cross, justice was served. So that 
those who believe in him, those who put their trust in him, those who put their faith in him can be credited with his perfect righteousness, can be forgiven of all sins. That is good news. That is the most incredible gift that could be given to us. And that's why Jesus died. Jesus died to give us that gift, that gift of forgiveness, that gift of his righteousness, that gift of a restored relationship with the one who made us. And so because of that gift, we can have a real, living, authentic relationship with the God of the universe. The story doesn't stop there. The story continues because Jesus didn't stay dead. That's right, he got up. That's why we're celebrating here this morning. That is what this is all about. Do you know today that Jesus got up, that he is alive? And when he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. He, it says that he ascended into heaven to give gifts to men. Before he ascends into heaven, we read in this passage, he gives some gifts to his disciples. And that's what we're going to study today. We're going to look at four gifts that Jesus gives, the risen Lord gives to his followers. Let's look at this first verse in John 20. Verse 19, it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus stood, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, let me just pause there for one second and just ask this before we get into these four gifts. Who is it that, who came to whom? Did the disciples go looking for Jesus? No. Jesus came to them. And we see this repeated again and again in the scriptures that God is the initiator of relationship. He comes to them again and again. All through the Bible, it is the same. God initiates the relationship with his people. In John 15, 16, Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And in John 6, he said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You see, in Romans chapter 3, it says that no one does good, not one. No one is righteous. We don't seek for God. We don't go looking for him. And so here's why this is so encouraging for us this morning. If you're here and there is a slightest inkling in your heart, and I'm assuming there is because you're sitting here, if there is the slightest inkling in your heart that you want to know this God, that you want to find out more about this God, it means that God is drawing you. It means that he is pursuing you. It means that he has initiated relationship with you. And that's good news. Make no mistake about it. If you're a Christian today, he chose you. He set his affections upon you. He gave you life where there was nothing but death. 
And if you're just beginning to seek after God, the risen Lord Jesus is pursuing you. So I want to show us in this passage the four gifts that Jesus gives to his disciples. Right here in the beginning, his disciples are sitting in a room. The doors are locked. They're afraid, right? I would be too in their shoes. Their teacher, their Lord was murdered. He was was arrested, falsely tried and accused, placed on a cross, brutally murdered. And so the assumption is we're next. And so they're afraid, they're, they're hiding, the doors are locked. And look at what Jesus says the moment he steps into the room. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. The first gift that the resurrected Son of God gives to his disciples is peace. He gives peace. He says, peace be with you in verse 19. He says again in verse 21, peace be with you. When he shows himself to Thomas eight days later, the first thing he says to them is peace be with you. This is important. This is huge. Why does he give peace and how does he give peace? Well, first of all, he gives peace because those who have believed in Jesus have peace with God. And if you have peace with God, the creator, the sovereign God of the universe, then you can have peace in any situation or circumstance. But his disciples have forgotten that. Maybe some of you have forgotten that. Maybe some of you have been hiding in a room with the doors locked over your life. And you're living in constant fear and anxiety. And the first thing that the risen Lord would say to you is peace be with you. The very first thing he sees when he looks at his disciples is he sees their fear, their anxiety. He looks in their eyes and he sees the worry. And he says, peace be with you. With a single word, he calms the storms in their heart. With a single word, he attacks this dark fear that is taking over their minds. Why is it? Why is it that this is so front and center? Why is it this the first thing that he addresses? Because fear is the work of the domain of darkness. Fear is the currency of the domain of darkness. The enemy knows that where there is fear, faith cannot exist. Where there is fear, trust cannot exist. And so he comes straight for it right off the bat. Peace be with you. Faith is the currency of heaven. Let me just tell you right now, no one, no angel and no human is walking around in heaven today wringing their hands. No one. Because when you are in the presence of the risen Lord, there is only peace. There is no fear, no anxiety, no worry. Jesus had already told his disciples in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When you are in the room with the risen Lord, a troubled heart, fear, these things are out of place. You, when you experience fear, when I experience fear and anxiety, I'm living out of step with heaven. Do you, this morning, need to hear the risen Lord say to you, peace be with you? Whatever it is that you're facing, peace be with you. But the virus, Lord, peace be with you. But the the divisions in our country, peace be with you. The political climate, peace be with you. But my job, peace be with you. But my financial situation, Lord, peace be with you. But my coworkers, Lord, my kids, my family, my mom and dad, my health, what happened to me in the past, peace be with you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. The world gives to us only trouble. But Jesus, the risen Lord, gives us peace, peace with God, peace with himself, and peace in our hearts can rule and reign no matter what our circumstances. You don't believe me? Read the Bible. Read the New Testament. The disciples of Jesus get arrested. They get brought before councils. They get thrown in prison. They get whipped and scourged. And do you know what they do? They worship They raise their hands and they say, thank you, God, for putting me right here. I trust that everything I see around me is because of you. I am in this situation for some reason because you're in control. So you must have a ministry for me here in this prison. You must have a ministry for me here in this neighborhood. You must have a ministry for me here in this family. You must have a reason that these friends are around me. You must have a reason I went through that trial, that difficulty. I can have peace because the Lord is alive. The second gift that we see Jesus give to his disciples. Look at verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. We can almost read past it. It's stated so simply. But friend, what we see here is a gladness, a joy like no other. Oh, believe me, this was exuberant gladness. This was a celebratory joy. We know because Jesus had said to them, in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Remember the story of the Bible. We were created for God and our souls are constantly thirsting for him. 
And we look to other things. We look to the next weekend or the next relationship or the next gadget or whatever it is that we are turning to to find joy. And every single time we come up short of full joy, don't we? Because we were made for one. We were made to be satisfied by one and one alone, the risen Lord Jesus So when they saw his hands and his side, they were glad. What did it mean? What did it mean when they saw the wounds in his hands, the wounds in his side? It meant this was not some spirit. This is the risen body, the resurrected body of my Lord. What does that mean? That means that Jesus faced Death, head on, and won, defeated it. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around this. Think for just a second. Throughout history, there are stories of great heroes, right? We've seen people that we admire, heroes who've done great things, who've endured difficult things, who've brought about great change. But every single hero, no matter who they are, no matter how great they are, in the end, every hero was defeated by death. Every single one of them faced the great, sure, and final foe of death and lost that battle until Jesus. And Jesus, he faced death, that unconquerable enemy, and he defeated it and came out the other side of the grave. And so when they saw the wounds in his hands, in his side, they knew our fears can be gone. We're not on the wrong side. Think of it. At this point, as they're hiding with locked doors, they're wondering, are we on the wrong side? Let me just encourage you, believer, today. You might be wondering the same thing. Am I on the wrong side? This world hates me. This world hates my message. Friend, look at your risen Lord and believe you are not on the wrong side. Our Lord, our King has conquered. He has defeated death, which means he can never die again. There is no foe who can take him. He cannot be dethroned. We are going to inherit an everlasting kingdom. Are you getting this? Jesus gives us joy because we know we serve an unconquerable king. The third incredible gift that Jesus gives to his disciples is purpose. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me Even so, I am sending you. Aren't we all looking for purpose? Aren't we all deep down looking for why we exist? 
What's that cause that we're supposed to fight for? What is the thing that, that I'm supposed to give my time, my energy, my life for? Jesus brings his followers, his disciples into his mission. The very mission that he came to begin, he says to his disciples, I'm giving you the job of finishing it. What greater purpose could there be than this, the reconciling of rebels back to their creator? The rescuing of those who are trapped in the domain of darkness, out of darkness and into the kingdom of light. He gives us purpose. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In the same way that Jesus was sent by the Father, he says, I'm sending you. How was he sent by the Father? Let's think about this. What was Jesus doing before he came to earth? Well, for eternity, all the way back to eternity past, he had been living in perfect friendship, perfect relationship with the Father. And so out of that love relationship, he was sent. And as the Father sent him, so the Son sends us. There's a story um, in one of the Gospels about these two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus goes to Martha's house, and um, it's one of my favorite stories. It's it's kind of the thing that inspired our first value here at New King Church is Jesus, which everybody's like, well, yeah, Jesus. But what we mean by that, what we mean by that is our first value is a, a friendship with him. Our first, our first value is that we would sit at his feet. In the story, he's at, Jesus is at Martha's house and Martha's busy serving Jesus. She's in the kitchen. She's whipping up a casserole and she's in there sweating and, and she's trying to serve Jesus. And, and Mary, her sister, is just sitting in the other room at Jesus's feet. And Martha's getting upset. She comes into the room and she says, Jesus, do you not care that I'm in here serving alone? Tell my sister to get up and help me. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary's chosen the right thing. She was sitting at his feet. And sitting at his feet does not mean that you aren't sent on mission, but it is the starting place for mission. Just as the son's relationship with the father was the starting place for his mission. So us sitting at the feet of Jesus is the starting place for our mission. So as the father sent the son, he sends us. He's sending out his disciples here after three years of intimate, intimate relationship. Day after day, moment after moment, training. And he will do the same for us if we will represent him well, we must know him well. And so he sins. He gives us purpose that flows out of intimate relationship. And then I want to look at 
a fourth gift that he gives. Look at verse 22. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, what we see here is that Jesus doesn't send them out to finish this mission alone. He equips them with supernatural power. He gives them exactly what they need in order to fulfill their mission. He sends them out with power. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We see this again and again in the book of Acts, power associated with the Holy Spirit. You wonder, what does that look like? What does power look like? Is somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit, like real strong? Are they like shining brightly? I mean, what does power even look like? Let me just help us out here. The word power, it just means the ability to do something. The ability to do. Power. Power, it's ability. When the Holy Spirit came upon Peter at Pentecost, he went out preaching, and he probably preached just like he had so many times before as Jesus had sent him out to all these different places. It probably, probably sounded pretty similar, right? Pretty, pretty similar cadence, pretty similar uh, way of talking, pretty similar length of time. But, but what happened at Pentecost, 3,000 souls got saved. Why? Because he had ability. He had power. The Holy Spirit is given to believers for power. So Christian, let me ask you. Is there sin in your life that you're seeking to get victory over and you have not been able to? The Holy Spirit will empower you to gain victory over sin. Let me ask you this. Are there people that you have wanted to represent Jesus to, that you've wanted to witness to, and you haven't been able to? You haven't had the boldness or you haven't had the effectiveness. Holy Spirit gives power for witness. Or have you been growing in your relationship with God? Have you been growing in Christ-like character? Let me tell you. The Holy Spirit bears the fruit of Christ-like character in you. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And so when the Holy Spirit is in you and filling you, these character qualities will be yours. Have you been drifting along in life without direction? The Bible says the Holy Spirit leads those who are children of God. The Holy Spirit is the power to live the Christian life, the power to carry out the mission, the power to do anything and everything that God asks of you, the power to do anything of any worth. And it is given to us for those who will reach out and take by faith. Galatians 3 says, Galatians 3 says that he supplies the spirit to you, not by works, but by hearing with faith. So he gives the gifts to his disciples of peace. He gives them joy. He gives them purpose. And he gives them power. 
running out of time. There's a condition, though, that must be met. And that's where we come to the second half of this story. It says in verse 25 that Thomas, um, he wasn't with them, and, and, and he wasn't believing the testimony of the disciples. I mean, he says to them, unless I see him, unless I touch the wounds, I'll never believe. His heart, crushed by seeing Jesus crucified, was cold and numb and hard, and he needed an encounter with Jesus. He couldn't believe the testimony of those who'd seen him. Couldn't believe it. What about you? Maybe you're here today because a friend invited you or it's Easter and, you know, it's a good time to go to church. Maybe you're here because you've been seeking. You've been, maybe you've been opening your Bible lately and now it's, it's time to find a church. I don't know why you're here, but you're here. You're here for some reason. And I believe that reason is that the God of the universe is pursuing you. And he's wanting to reveal himself to you today through his word, through the testimony of his disciples. You see, you're sitting, you're sitting in a room full of people who are his followers, who have seen the risen Lord, who have encountered the risen Lord. You're sitting among a people who would say, yes, he has revealed himself to me. I have believed that he died on the cross for my sins, and so I have been forgiven of my sins. I believe that he was raised from the dead to conquer the darkness in me. And he has given me his Holy Spirit, and the light burns bright in me. Will you listen to the testimony of his disciples who say the Lord Jesus is alive? Will you listen to the testimony of his word which says the Lord Jesus is alive? We have begun relationship with the one true God. We have begun a relationship, a real interactive, experiential, dynamic relationship with the living God, and you can too, if you will believe. Look at verses 27 through 29, and I'm gonna wrap this up. Jesus says to him, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. When we see the risen Lord, we know that he is both Lord and God. And then it says, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You're sitting in a room full of people who've not seen him with our eyes, but we believe. We know, we know he is alive. 
He is alive and can never die again. He has conquered sin and death and the grave. Today, he's chosen to reveal himself to you. So let me encourage you, do not disbelieve, but believe, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, you know the hearts and minds and experiences and circumstances of every person in this room, of every person that listens online. You know each one. And Lord, I ask, breathe life into each and every person here. Pour out your spirit upon them. Give them the gift of faith that they might say, yeah, I didn't choose him. He chose me. He came after me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have done it all, that you've paid the great price, that you've absorbed your Father's wrath for our sin upon yourself on the cross, that you completely paid the price. You took our sins with you into the grave and you left them there and you walked out on the third day. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for doing it all so that we could know the living God, so that we could have a relationship with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming into our hearts. Oh, Lord, help us. Help those here, Lord, who, who, like Thomas, would say, I can't believe. Lord, help them to believe today and be saved. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.